everybody. Welcome to Genie Babies. It's a podcast from Overdue, the podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. I'm Baby again. Again? Once again, once again, I find myself baby. baby. <laughs> Gregor Samsa found himself baby. <laughs> he found himself to be baby. So what's this po- what's this podcast within a podcast? This is what's, what are we doing? Uh, our long read project currently focused on the Arabian Nights or Thousand and One Nights. We are reading the translation by Hussein Hadawi and the edition uh, by Musin Mahdi. Um, and we are going through these nights here uh, a couple dozen at a time, I think. And we're just going to talk about the stories that are in them. We've really, I think last episode, we really got into the stories within stories motif. Yeah, and we're definitely still there now. The the thing I do like about this one is that you know, some stories, many stories do span multiple nights. Oh, yeah. But once you get past one story, you kind of, you're done. Like the only overarching story that you need to remember to keep pushing through is the overarching frame narrative where through a series of adulteries, mm-hmm. King Shariar has decided that he is going to marry women, for, sleep with them for one night, and then have them killed so that they can't break his heart again. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Shahrazad, the vizier's daughter, has taken it upon herself to break this cycle, and she has chosen to do it along with some help from her sister uh, by telling the king just a really banging story every night <laughs> yeah. for 1,001 nights. And she always usually leaves it at a cliffhanger to leave him one more. Yep. There's no, and there's no attempt in our edition, maybe in other retellings of this tale. I think there are like more modern retellings that are like, and then she's working towards this goal where this will happen. And it, in the edition we have, she's just telling stories and tomorrow's another day. Like every chapter is like next time on, please don't kill me now. A new story. <laughs> yeah, we, Last episode, we did try to pick up on, so between the nights, there's like yeah. a little bit of stock phrasing where uh, like basically the sun comes up and uh, Scheherazade falls silent and her sister's like, dang, that was a good story. And she says, well, just wait till tomorrow. And sometimes you get a little interjection, yes. like you get a little glimpse inside the king's head there that says okay man i gotta hear the end of this one but then definitely gonna kill her after that so it seemed it seemed maybe like he was adding more time to the amount yes yes but in this i don't get a sense that that's like intentionally happening after reading another couple dozen nights but i, I guess we'll see what the trend line is <laughs> we'll see, yeah and what the like the rolling average is on like 538 versus rcp and like is the yeah, king gonna well, do it they, all, they calculate the they weight the polls different ways yeah yeah uh, yeah like by god i shall popo- postpone her execution until i hear the tales of the dervishes and the girls then have her put to death like the rest and for a while he was like even if it takes like a month to hear all these stories yeah i'll wait and now he's back to well when she gets to the end of this one better be good lights out lights out for shahrazad um so last time the main story we talked about was the fisherman and the demon which involved a fisherman who had found a magic lamp and a demon came out and then like they fought a bunch and then so things happened where then they found a kingdom and a charming stone prince and like stuff mostly worked out at the end of that story i think 
Um, but it was right. cool. Unless you're, unless you're the women. Yeah. Well, any of the women in any of these stories, things, things, <laughs> things worked. Out. Never work out. That's true. Um, this one, we're going to go through nights in our edition, and this is different across different editions. We're nights 28 through like 52. This is going to be episodes three and four are essentially two parters of, uh, it's going to be a two part series of the story of the Porter and the three ladies. Um, other editions call this like the Porter and the three women of Baghdad, uh, you know, change your, your nouns potentially, but it's all like a Porter met some ladies. Yeah. Right. A Porter's involved. Yes. Um, and it's just like, Hey, Shahrazad's like, let's get into this story. Let's go for it. And so there's a guy at a market and an attractive lady is like, Hey, I'm going to hire you to carry my stuff. That's how every good story starts. <laughs> Right, and so she goes around town grabbing a larger and larger pile of things. And for a minute, the porter is like, you know, if you told me you were going to be getting all these things, I would have got like a cart or something yeah. instead of just carrying them around with my hands. But fine. So he carries all the stuff around with her for her all day. And then she goes home with him and they meet the set. So she's the first of the three ladies. And then we meet. So she's the shopper. Is that how she's? She referred is referred to? to as the shopper after we start meeting other ladies, right? Um, and then we get the doorkeeper. Yes, and this is who one is the sister who comes to the door when the shopper and the porter first get back home. It's important for the reader, the listener, the king to know that these are very attractive ladies. Like Shahrazad is not kidding around with how attractive these ladies are. Um, so when the porter gets to the door, uh, he saw a full bosom, full bosomed, full bosom girl. Love them, big old bosoms. Tall. She was all charm, beauty, and perfect grace, with a forehead like the new moon, eyes like those of a deer or wild heifer, eyebrows mm-hmm. like the crescent in the month of Shaban, cheeks like red anemones, mouth like the seal of Solomon, <laughs> lips like red carnelian, teeth like a row of pearls set in coral, neck like a cake for a king. Bosom Man, that girl got <laughs> neck like a cake. You know, for a king. You've seen a girl's got neck like a cake for just like a king. It's good. Bosom like a fountain, breast like a pair of big pomegranates resembling a rabbit with uplifted ears, and belly with a navel like a cup that holds a pound of benzoin ointment. That's a big belly button. What? That's a big belly button. A pound of ointment. When he saw her, he lost his senses and his wits, and the basket nearly fell from his head. As he, yeah, it's a real cartoon <laughs> auga moment, and it's just like, wow, okay, that's there's a hot lady here, huh? Okay, yeah, she's got she got a neck like a cake, you know, <laughs> neck like a cake for a king. That was one where I was like, okay, I know that there is a lot of there is a lot of misogyny in this text. It is really bad. Uh, this one felt more like there was a Scheherazade being like, you horny murder king. I'm just going to like lay it on for you if that's what you want, you deviant. Uh, I just want to see the episode of Cake Boss where he makes a cake for a king. and I don't, I don't, That does look like a nice lady's neck. God, neck like a cake for a king. I'm going to make it out of Rice Krispie Treats and fondant. Oh my. It's going to look uh, like a lady's neck. Yeah. A lady's neck had fondant on it. Um, mm. And so then we meet another attractive lady who turns out to be uh, the mistress of the house, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, Are you talking about the one who had an elegant figure, the scent of ambergris, sugared lips, Babylonian eyes with eyebrows as arched as a pair of bent bows, and a face whose radiance put the shining sun to shame? For she was like a great star soaring in the heavens, or a dome of gold, or an unveiled bride, or a splendid fish swimming in a fountain, or a morsel of luscious fat in a bowl of milk soup. What? Is that her? <laughs> the, yeah, the the milk soup lady. <laughs> Girl, you look like milk soup. What? So we got milk soup, we got cake neck, and the shopper. <laughs> Wait, we should go back. Does I'm, the shopper have anything? I'm gonna go. You keep going, and I'm gonna see if the shopper gets a, a, a bizarre. Well, they're gonna get even. We're gonna be able she to. She revealed a pair of beautiful dark eyes, graced with long lashes, and a tender expression like those celebrated by the poets. So that's. That sounds pretty beautiful. Celebrated by the poets. Okay, but okay, you okay. Tell me, like, what her neck like? <laughs> How many pounds of ointment will fit in her belly button? What type? What of kind soup of soup does she make you think of when you yeah. put fat in it? <laughs> and so they kind of just have him around, and one of the girls is like, "Well, why don't you leave? Like, do you need more money or something?" And he's like, no, I I don't need more money, but like, listen, we're having we're having fun here. The pleasure of men is not complete without women, and the pleasure of women is not complete without men. Am I right? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, throughout we've all, we've all tried this one. <laughs> throughout these stories, uh, people are like quoting poetry at each other left and right, and yeah, we get a lot of. Uh, a lot of blocks of like poetry in, in these. And and the we talked about the translator's note in the first episode, I think, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And um Hadawi talked a little bit about how these blocks are disregarded by some translators, often as being sort of superfluous to the action of the stories. It is. They are kind of superfluous they to the are, action of but, the stories. Yeah. Um but that doesn't mean they're not part of them you know no and they seem to function like idiomatically like someone will say something and then they'll be like like this poem that we all know right and then i'm gonna impress you by in this book (laughs) stop it you idiom (laughs) um and he you know goes on and he's like listen i'm not just any man i'm a sensible wise man i've studied the sciences and attained knowledge i've read and learned Mm. and presented my knowledge and cited my authorities i know a good bibliography like i will be a good person to hang out with uh, I like that his his credentials are all about like academics and braininess. Yes. But we don't know what his neck is like. <laughs> we do not. And the girls debate whether or not to keep him around, but ultimately the shopper, right, who is uh, beauty by the poets, right? She's like, listen, mm-hmm. he helped me out. He did such a good job. We don't need to kick him out. We'll just party with him. It'll be great. Um. And then they just like have a night of revels. Um, yeah, they get real drunk. They drink a lot. There's one sentence. I want to get to the pool party, Andrew, but there's oh, a sentence. Of course, we can't skip the pool there's party. There's a sentence before the pool party. Um, he danced and sang lyrics and ballads and carried on with the girls, toying, kissing, biting, groping, rubbing, fingering, and playing jokes on them. While one girl thrust a morsel in his mouth, another flirted with him, another served him with some fresh herbs, and another fed him sweets until he was in utter bliss. Just want to say that. <sighs> Sounds like spring break. Hey, woo! It doesn't sound like anything I've ever experienced <laughs> in my life. That is... <laughs> We're we're having a lot of fun with some of these jokes here, but this these three story these three ladies and all the stories associated with them 
are really bizarre and there are there are supernatural elements, but yep. Mostly it's just like horny supernaturally guys. horny elements. Yeah, like th- there are there are elements of supernaturalness that I think we will get into the explanations for next episode. Yeah. Yes. But these the first half like th- this episode, this episode is going to be mostly just very horny. Yeah, this this episode fe- like the passages here feel like a snuff film. Like it feels like a horny snuff film. And that I mean Hadawi did talk about that also, like the, the part of these part of these stories being their sort of low comedy yeah, nature yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and translators who tried to translate them into some kind of like high faux Homeric. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are know, lines of lines of prose. were not doing it justice. So, they're raunchier yeah. than academia wants them to be, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's so okay so that's kind of an entre act what I just read into what's going to happen at this pool party so like if there are younger we're, this pool party goes places just like are we gonna, so okay 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 here's maybe we should have talked about this before are we what can we say what are we going to maybe we don't is do is this going to get the explicit text? maybe we don't do the quotes but we say because I have a list of the thing, the names that get given, like the the fancy names, like the the, the real names, Qua- y- not yeah. the guesses. Yeah. No. Um. So we won't. We, we don't need the explicit tag, but we are talking about adult material. Let's say specifically genitals. Yeah, because one of the girls, oh, the doorkeeper, excuse me, Cake Neck, uh, takes <laughs> off. Just <laughs> off her dress and says, uh, then she said, we went into the pool and immersed herself in the water. That was my favorite part because I wanted to know how, how that read in Arabic. Like, how does we transpose between languages? <laughs> and I laughed out loud and put the book down. It was so funny. We. Um, and so then we get, can you just talk to me about the pool party, Andrew? What so happens? they've been they've been drinking for a while. They're having a good time, and one by one, these three women all throw their clothes off and they say "we" and they jump into the pool and immerse themselves in water. Yes, and they wash like under their breasts and they wash all their private areas and they wash everything. And then they come over to the porter, and they sit on his lap, and they point at their genitals and they're like, "What's this called?" And, and the porter, you know, very, like we said, very horny, very drunk, guesses just like every, a lot of he stuff. He usually starts um, with womb. Then she, yeah, then she rushed out through herself in the porter's lap and asked, my my little lord, what is this? Your vulva, said he, and she gave him a blow with which the hall resounded, saying, fie, you have no shame. Your womb, said he, and her sister hit him, saying, fie, what an ugly word. And we we don't have to go... Because this happens one time for each of the women, and while he makes guesses, they all beat the crab out, and they all seem to be kind of laughing about it. It it is that episode. Okay, the episode of Seinfeld where he is trying to remember a woman's name, and yes. he realizes it rhymes with female genitalia, and he comes up with all these names. Imagine that, except he's just saying the things that the names rhyme with, and he's going through sure. most of those. And some sure. raunchier ones that we won't say. And then each time he gets, the, he, they're like, no, let's tell you the real name. And the first one 
is the Basil of Bridges. Basil of okay. Bridges? Unclear. Let's say Basil. The next one, uh, and they say, they say, like, why don't you say the real one? He gives up. And they're like, well, why don't you say the husked sesame? And he's like, all right, the husked sesame, let's go. And then the next one does it. I think this is the last one is the mistress, uh, Milk Soup. Um, and we get to it at the end, and she goes, why don't you say the inn of Abu Masrur? And he's like, great, that's what it is. Sounds perfect. And they're all laughing and having fun, and then they turn the tables on him, right? Or does he turn the tables on them? The, table, some, the tables are turned by someone. And he takes his clothes off and he jumps in the pool. Oh, right? he does it. You're right. He does yeah. it. He turns the tables. He gets to yeah. be the jokester now. There is an mm-hmm. element of like for the for the pages where they're making him guess, like they're in control and are like prodding him and making fun of him in a way so that by by the time this has happened three times, he is seriously injured. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um and then this is him like trying to like wrest control back from them. And what does he call his thing, Andrew? Oh man, I don't have the name. It's like a like what is it? Like the deer of something? The smashing mule. The smashing mule, yes, right. It is the one who grazes in the basil of the bridges, eats the husked sesame, and gallops in the inn of Abu Masrur. And they laughed until they fell on their backs and almost fainted with laughter. Yeah, so that's just that's a very elaborate pickup line. I mean, good on him for thinking on his feet, I guess. Yeah, he's a quick guy. But still being horny, even though three women just, you know, just slapped you around for 45 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'd have that in me. I did. I, I don't even know to cite it there are scholarly articles about are you sure you don't want to bring another Seinfeld no there are scholarly articles uh talking about the gender dynamics in this sequence talking about like uh women being able to laugh at this potentially like women sharing these stories with each other you know more contemporaneous to the original tales and what that might have been like, who is the intended audience for these stories? Um, so there, there are some questions that I actually want to do a little bit more research on. But because I was reading this, I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, maybe for the next episode where we're where we're trying to do takeaways a little bit. Instead yeah. Of just like, wow, this one, this one was strange. Yes, it was. Cake, cake neck. Uh-huh. Milk soup. Okay. <laughs> um, so then. I feel like the, the cake neck thing is going to become to Genie Babies what the butt crying was for Hellboys. <laughs> just oiled it's going to be a thing that we to, can't stop like to, going yeah. back to over and over again. <laughs> Neck like a cake for a king. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get the big rule of the household, Andrew. We get the like the what stays in Vegas rule that these women have put on their house. Right. It's It's basically like don't ask about stuff that doesn't concern you because you might get answers you don't like. Speak not of what concerns you not, lest you hear what pleases you not. And this is literally inscribed on their door. And they're like, this is the rule you have to abide by if you want to stay here. And like we love this is some like classic like are you afraid of the dark kind of. Yeah. Like, you know, you know that someone is going to break the rule. And the question is. Like who, when, and what are the eternal consequences? (laughs) (laughs) 
so then we get some new guests to the party. Some dervishes show up, um, and there's three of them. They all only have one eye. They seem to mm-hmm. be in sorry shape. One of the women refers to them as having a face that would make a mourner laugh, which I'm not quite yeah. sure what that vibe is other than bad. I think it's just like it's so it's so humorous that even a person who is really sad okay, will laugh at sure, it. Okay, sure, sure. Uh-huh. Um and like he's the kind of guy who laughs at a funeral. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> uh if you don't know what I mean, you soon will. Um yeah. and they are like Dressed as, you know, dervishes, they have taken kind of a, a life of austerity. Me- mendicants is a word that's used a lot in this translation, but mendacity, mm-hmm. like they are I- embracing poverty. Um, and they like play some music and party and it's a good time. And uh, who sh- I didn't know the f- the the origin of the phrase like whirling, like a whirling dervish so that- until this. But they're, but yeah, they're, they're members of a like Sufi Muslim order yeah. who they do like they have taken, and this is common in a lot of religious orders. They have taken like vows of austerity and poverty, but they also love to party and dance and like spin <laughs> sure. around. And so that's where whirling dervishes comes from. Not all dervishes whirl or not all dervishes are whirling dervishes, but, mm-hmm. but all whirlers are dervishes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not- <laughs> Um, and so they're there, they're partying, playing music. This attracts the attention of someone else walking by. Just walking by this estate um, is the caliph, the, the you know, essentially a king, right? Yeah, so I uh, I pulled the footnote for this um, that, that Hadawi puts in. And this is this is not just a caliph, but he's like the caliph, like the like golden age Arab caliph. Oh, cool. Uh, Harun al Rashid was the fifth Abbasid caliph who ruled from AD uh, 786 to 809. His rule is considered to be the golden age of the Arab Empire, and his court in Baghdad is idealized in the Knights. Uh, Jafar al-Barmaki was uh, Harun al-Rashid's vizier and frequent companion to whose family Harun delegated the administrative duties of the empire until grown suspicious of their rising power. He had Jafar and virtually the entire clan exterminated. So that's kind of a mini 1001 Nights story that's in and cool. of itself. I like it's that. just like power dynamics between caliphs and viziers come up a lot. <laughs> and so this is like... A, a king is just, you know, hey, uh, hey, Shahrazad is telling the story to a king. Hey, another one of the best guys came by. You know, the mm-hmm. king of kings came by. Not that king of kings. Well, a king the, of kings no. came by. You know. <laughs> a king, a king, of <laughs> a king of kings. Um, and he also liked neck cake. And uh, they're like, hey, listen, there's a party in there. We should go in there. And Jafar's like, I don't know. These people sound drunk and they might insult us. <laughs> Caleb's like, no, I need to go in. Uh, make up a story, like make up a reason why we're here. Mm-hmm. Their story is absurd. Tell me about it. Their story is that like they're just merchants who have been in Baghdad and mm-hmm. they got drunk and then had a party and then the cops showed up. So they had to run away and <laughs> some of them beat them up and... Oh yeah, they are sort of in a like a college party movie that yes, they get chased it's away. Real from. like beta house kind of stuff. Like they just and they're like, oh well, if we go to the inn, we'll get locked up. So we came by your house and we heard this lovely music that's totally not drunk and like dangerous sounding. 
Um, and could you like please like let us at least sleep in your doorway, uh, if not like in, in your in your house? And they're like, yeah, come on in. So we've got like a real party crew at this point. We've got the porter, we've got the ladies, we've got the three dervishes, we've got the caliph and, and Jafar. Yeah, and every, everybody comes in, and they so the the porter had all this like revelry and drinking and all this prelude to learning what the rule is. But everybody else who comes learns the like don't ask about stuff that doesn't concern you because you might get answers that you don't like. They they all get that rule really early. Yes. And then once everybody is there, um, there's this strange ritual that happens where which of the sisters is it who is like doing the the beating? Um the okay, let me, I have this marked. The shopper placed a chair in the middle of the hall. Oh no, the sister says let us do our duty and then some stuff happens. Mm. The shopper places a chair in the middle of the hall, says to the porter, come and help me. Porter approaches. He sees two black female hounds with chains around their necks, um, and he leads them in. And the mistress of the house says, it is time to perform our duty. She rolls up her sleeves, took a braided whip, and called to the porter, bring me one of the bitches, meaning one of the black female hounds. Um, And he brings her in, and then she just starts whipping. She starts whipping this dog, and she... Whips and whips and whips the dog until it passes out, basically. Until her arm like can't do it anymore. Right, like they are they are both spent, and then they and then she goes over to the dog and sort of embraces it, and they both sort of cry together, and then the dog is taken away. And then she does it to the other dog. Yes. And everyone's just like, "What? What is?" And so, you know, as soon as you get to uh, what is going on here, you are breaking the rule. Like, don't ask about us beating the dogs because you might get an answer that you don't like. We could not have been more clear about this and we could not have framed it in a way that made it more obvious what you're not supposed to do. (laughs) And then the doorkeeper and the shopper have a ritual and the doorkeeper sits on a chair and the shopper goes and gets a lute and plays a song where she sings a poem. Um, that's I'm not quite sure what the poem is about. It's about suffering. She talks about the shirt of agony I wore, which I circled as a really good like grunge lyric. Um, and then as soon as the poem's over, the the I guess the doorkeeper, one of the sisters falls down. And like starts screaming, rips off her dress, reveals that she has whip marks all over her body Mm -hmm. and is like crying. And everyone's very confused. And so we don't the resolution of this is not is not we're not going to talk about in this episode. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the sisters are the dogs. Yeah. Like the two sisters are the dogs. This is this is 1001 Nights. I've read enough of these stories to know that if you whip a bunch of dogs and then they disappear and then women come back and they have mysterious whip marks on them. The women are the dogs. They were probably cursed. Yes. Or they're demons or some kind of something, but we don't we don't get to that whatever resolution that is. What we do get in this is that is a is it the king or one of the dervishes who who starts to ask the question? Like, I think the the porter has been here long enough, and he's like and wasted I think, too. And I, well, he's wasted, and I think he still kind of is hoping he's going to get laid a little bit. So he is he is following the rules. But one of the other people who's shown up more recently is like, "Hey, what's 
what is could you what 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 is what, what's going on yes the the caliph and jafar are like going back and forth they're like we need to know about this who can we make ask the dervishes don't want to do it and so everyone agrees that the porter is going to do it and while they're f- like kind of infighting about this um the you know the mistress or one of them is like hey what's up and they're like listen could you tell us about the could you <laughs> the just like tell us about and this the- and, and they're like, whoops, you broke the rule. And they, what, they tie them up and they Oh, guests, start, you have wronged yeah. us. Have we not told you of our condition that he who speaks of what concerns him not will hear what pleases him not? And then seven men with swords run in, tie them all to chairs. And the mistress is like, listen, we're going to kill these fools. <laughs> like, we're going to, we're just going to ax them. I guess the... We're going to ask him a question. <laughs> I guess the question I have is like, if I come over to your house and we're yeah. having a party okay. and we weren't invited, but you also seem happy that we're there. And then you bring out your dogs and you like whip them in front of me. Yeah. At what point is that my business? Because I feel like you've made it my business a little bit by doing it in front of me. I was trying to think of others. I've I got like just strong vibes from this part of the tale that I had seen movies or TV. I've seen versions of this type of like, wow, I'm really stuck at your house and I can't question what you're doing. Vibes like I'm not. I can't push back against the host of this. There's like a there's a Tarantino movie called Four Rooms. Of course <laughs> I think that ends with like uh what's that game where you try not to like stick your stick a knife in your hand where you like try to stick it between your fingers? The one with the knife. I don't know that I I don't know the name of the game. I just know that Knifey Fingers. TV TV and movie people do it when you're supposed to know how like cool and nimble and reckless they are it's, but yeah ni- knifey fingers it's something like they're playing knifey fingers or there's some sort of bet about cutting fingers knifey and fingers like the game. the waiter gets roped into it and then just like can't get out and it becomes okay what's it called knifey fingers <laughs> the knife game pin finger nerve bishop stab scotch stabber scotch five finger fillet parentheses fff or quote stab between the fingers game <laughs> Is a game wherein placing the palm of one's hand down on the table with fingers apart using a knife or other sharp object, one attempts to stab back and forth between one's fingers, moving the object back and forth, trying not to hit one's fingers. Yes. The game is intentionally dangerous. <laughs> I have heard it called Five Finger Filet. That, that is the thing I have heard. Um, yeah. And but I mean, our guess of like... Knifey fingers <laughs> like is not far from the stabber scotch. <laughs> so all that to say... I have seen movies and stuff where like some it's like a real horror thriller trope to be like, oh, I am trapped in this situation and I can't push back against it. And now I'm tied up and I thought I was a guest and now I'm a victim. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. We don't in in this podcast here today, we will not cover the full conclusion to this tale. But the mistress has now ordered them to like what like tell her who they are um 
you know, like tell me. Yeah, she's. I mean, the, it's like if you well, you you broke the only rule. So if you don't, the porter is like, hey, don't punish me. I I was being cool. I don't want to do this. They made me do it, and then they have to sort of account for themselves and part of. D- so the, for the dervishes, the setup is sort of like the uh, the story that we talked about before with that guy who was like eating dates. Oh, and he accidentally it, killed that demon's yes, son. Yes, and the demon ended up like sparing his life because three people told three cool stories. Well, and and again, like we said, that this is Shahrazad filibuster. And if you're thinking <laughs> about the frame narrative, yeah, but it's another format where. To save their lives and make the story end well for as many people as possible, these dervishes now have to spin a yarn like they've never spun before. Because she says, tell me who you are, for you have only one hour to live. Were you not men of rank or eminent among your people or powerful rulers, you would not have dared to offend us. And so the the Caliph and Jafar and the three dervishes are all like, actually, we are men of rank. And yeah, we, we are kind of great. So she's like, okay, well, tell me who you are and what brought you here and stroke your head, or which means like pat your head in appreciation that you still have it. And then maybe. I, I love that yes. metaphor. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then you can maybe go. And so you're right, Andrew. The porter's like, listen, I like worked for you yesterday or something. And yeah, like, I thought I thought we were cool. Uh, and she's like, OK, you can leave. And he's like, I would like to leave. But I also want to hear the rest of the stories, <laughs> which happens to everyone. <laughs> everyone does that. Um, so what's the first dervish up to, Andrew? He didn't start as a dervish. No, what was the? I remember more of the second. Okay, dervish's you want me to take first dervish? Tale. Okay, yeah, take that first dervish for me. The first you? dervish. My father was a king, and he had a brother who was a king. Stop me if you've heard this one before. We've heard a lot of these tales. <laughs> um, and he goes to visit his uncle king, and he starts palling around with his cousin. And like cousins do, they're like, "Hey, buddy, while you're in town, can you do me a favor?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, cousin." Everybody- that's a that's a story trope is you like you don't get into big trouble with your brother you get nope. into big trouble with your ne'er do well cousin yes. who is family enough that you're in their orbit for no reason but doesn't care about you enough to keep you out of trouble <laughs> correct correct <laughs> and he's like hey can you um take this lady and go before me to a sepulcher in such and such a graveyard and uh, so they go to this sepulcher and he's like got some supplies with him. And he like digs a little hole in the ground and he finds a hatch and he's like, listen, uh, lady, do you want to come down into the hatch with me? And she goes in and then he, tr- the cousin turns to him and is like, okay, so, um, you know, just place the iron plate back over or just seal us in down here. And the dervish is like, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do. And then like the next morning he's hung over and he can't remember where, this happened he tries to find his cousin he's not even sure if it was real or a dream and then he leaves he goes back to his hometown the vizier has killed everyone (laughs) and Mm -hmm. taken over the vizier is mad because the vizier only has one eye because the prince was trying to shoot a bird and shoot the vizier in the eye instead and so now that's why the vizier actually took over everything because he hates the prince um and so there's like a like a Simba scar moment where they're like take this guy away and kill him and the executioner's like you know what I feel bad for you 
you you just run away or else we'll have to kill you. And so missing an eye, the future dervish runs back to his uncle's kingdom and is like, uncle, uncle, the bad stuff's happening. I'd, also, I put your cousin in a weird basement. And whoops, sorry. <laughs> his uncle's like, yeah, can you help me find him? And they find him and there's smoke in there. and Everyone's been burned to death. Yes. There are piles of charcoal. And the Uncle King takes off his shoe and starts beating the crap out of his charcoal son. Like, oh, I'm so mad at you, so charcoal mad. He's son. such a disappointment. Yeah, no. And the the future dervish is like, well, why is this happening? He's like, well, you see, this guy, my son, loved his sister. And I told him that he couldn't. And he went around my back. And you helped him go <laughs> in the basement. And now they're dead. He got what he deserved. You're my son now. And they they cry together. Uh, and then, whoops, the Vizier has marched on the uncle's territory now. And so the guy has to run away. And the best way to still be alive is to shave his head and his eyebrows and become a dervish. Mm-hmm. And that's where he is. Yeah. And that's how we got cool. here. It's, it's a cool dervish. I do really like the, hey, cuz, can you bury me in this basement with my sister? <laughs> I've got all sorts of supplies down there. It's going to be fine. He didn't know it was his sister. He just thought they were like going down to have some nookie, some totally. Oh, yeah, that's what the dervish thought. He didn't know that it was. Yeah, no, the dervish didn't know that he was putting him down there with his his hot, (laughs) his hot sister. And there is like the dervishes meet each other in Baghdad and they're they all kind of have this like rote like, oh, I'm a stranger. Are you a stranger? Like, let's be three wild and crazy strangers together. And then. (laughs) Yeah. Not really sure why that's a thing, but they're they're a pal. <laughs> they're just wild and crazy guys. They are wild and crazy guys. And so that dervish is like cool, and the mistress is like, "Great story. Do you want to leave?" And he's like, "Nah. Can I can I hear my brother's my, my pal story?" I'm happy. I'm super happy that you're gonna let me leave. But if you could just, I just talked for a long time, and I would love to just hear more stories while I'm here. So so tell now me now the stakes have been lowered for me. Yes. I would like to see the dramatic conclusion of this. Yeah, of because this arc. I think there is an element of like, well, I did tell my story, so she's gonna she's gonna let me live. Maybe I'll find out about the dogs. Like, just maybe? Mm, yeah, yeah, there is that. Like, That's not in the text. I'm just inferring that. It's, like, no, and, and maybe it will come back. Like, yeah. we we gave you a chance to get out, and you still wanted to stick around and learn about the dogs, so <laughs> now you're dogs or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe. Now you're, well, let's get into Dervish 2. Tell me about Dervish 2, Andrew. So Dervish 2, and there are some short nights in this one. Like yes, I'd very like short Shahrazad nights. Like was maybe like a little tired. <laughs> so she didn't tell very much. But the second Dervish also was sort of nobility. Yep. And uh, he he and like a, a caravan were set upon by highwaymen. And he ran off into the wilderness like without any of his possessions or like knowing what is going I on. I was mighty and became lowly. I was rich and became poor. He has also taken great pains to say how good he was at writing, which does factor mm-hmm. in later. <laughs> yes. And so he sort of comes to a, 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 a city and based on his limited skill set, he's able to gain some sort of employment as like a woodsman, basically. Right? Yeah. He, like, a guy's like, hey, he tells his story to someone who is like, hey, listen, don't go around saying that you're royalty because of the blood feuds. <laughs> uh, don't you have any skill with which you can earn your living i replied i'm a jurist a man of letters a poet a grammarian and a calligrapher learn to code he said, 
He said, such skills are not much in demand in our city, which is just like going out to the job market with a liberal arts degree. <laughs> like, All those journalists need to I know, I know my letters. Yeah, but we need plumbers. Sorry. Um, Whoops. And so he gives him an axe and he says, go chop some wood. And he does. And what does he find? And it's not like a like a cool like kiss off. He's actually asking him to go chop some yeah, wood. Yeah, true, true. It's true, not true. like go chop some wood. Uh so he goes out into the woods to chop some wood because that's where you get wood is the woods. That's enough. I've played Age of Empires, Empires, I know. <laughs> Ooh, we should play Age of Empires. Um <laughs> and he finds like this this trap door in the ground. Another basement. He, Another weird, mysterious basement, and he goes down to the basement, and he finds a rad palace, and down there is another hot woman, and we don't learn what her neck is like or her belly button, but she is very beautiful, and they both sit, and they they talk through the night, and my love for her began to possess my whole being, and my sorrow departed. We sat drinking until nightfall, and I spent with her a delightful night, the like of which I never spent in all my life. She has explained her deal by that point, though. She has laid out to him, listen, I was just living my life. I was like a child bride. And then I am the daughter of Aftimaris, king of the Ebony Island. He married me to one of my cousins. But on my wedding night, a demon snatched me up, flew away with me. And a while later, set me down in this place. So she's been trapped by a demon for a while. The demon? Many yeah, yeah, many years. The demon comes by every 10 days. She's in the middle of a 10-day cycle right now. Um, and also there's a button that she can press that will make the demon show up instantly. Like some sort of ins- like enchanted panel on the floor or something. Yeah, it's like a step or something that you can kick. or it's like, it's, Yeah, it's know. like some sort of weird ground Alexa or something that you just press and then like all of a sudden there's a demon there. Like an Alexa, which is just a demon. It's just yeah, it's just a demon who lives in your house who tells you how many tablespoons are in a cup. <laughs> um, and the guy so, gets drunk and he like wants to be with her now, so he gets all yeah. Up like they they are both they're vibing yeah. pretty seriously, and and the woman does not seem to have any particular attachment to this demon. She's been down here for a long time. And so she is. She has warned him, like, "Don't press the demon button, please. Don't summon this demon." <laughs> and he does. And he, after a after a night spent together, he gets up and he like accidentally stumbles over the demon button. Yeah. He, he, and then and then he runs. So okay, uh-huh. he runs up the stairs yes. because he he needs to get out before the demon gets there. And he says, "Oh, lady," and this oh, is he's talking to one of the one of the ladies in the. We're a couple story layers deep now. So when he says, oh, lady, he's talking to one of the three um, sisters. Oh, yes. the Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, lady, it was not easy for me to hear her cries, but trembling with fear, I climbed the staircase slowly until I was outside. Like, that must have been so hard for you. <laughs> it was so hard for you to hear her screaming left to this demon's devices while you ran away. That must have been really difficult, and I feel horrible for you. He has, And he has left his axe and his sandals there. Yes, right. He left, yeah, he left some of his clothes. So the and demon like, is like, yeah, listen. This, and this also feels like some kind of movie trope. Yes, the <clears throat> because the demon didn't see him, but the demon does see the axe He's and sandals. He's his axe and his shoes, yeah. yeah. And so he goes back to the city and... He's he's left the poor woman to her devices and to the demon, 
And then some like old is it like an old Persian guy, an old Persian gentleman, comes yeah, by. shows up at this at the place where he works and is like, "Hey, I found your axe in the woods. <laughs> Can I give your axe back to you? It's me, a normal Persian gentleman, and I would like to give your axe back to you because I found your axe. My name is David Mann, D Man. My name, my name, <laughs> and I found your axe." It is me, David Mann, normal Persian gentleman who has found your human axe and would like to return it to you. I would like to give you your foot gloves. <laughs> I would not want your bottom hands to become cold. <laughs> and this, the the guy is smart. The dervish is like, oh, crap, that's the demon. <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> And the demon's like, yeah, I am a demon. And he like whisks him away and like puts mm-hmm. him in the in the basement again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things go very badly in the basement. Things go really bad. So the I mean, you do get the impression that this this second dervish and this woman actually care about each other. Yeah. A lot. And they are vibing really hard because they can have entire conversations with just like a twitch of an eyebrow. They're winking at each which other. Which does yeah. make it feel like. You know, a standard fantasy novel where somebody can write paragraphs with their like facial tics <laughs> because you need it to work that way so your contrived plot devices can work. Correct. But the demon, like the demon says, I know you're both lying to me. I know you know each other. I know this, I know this axe and these these foot gloves belong to this guy. And I know you were down here with my lady. So like fess up. Yes. And the lady is like, No, I don't know this guy. And the demon says, okay, well, if you don't know him, then you won't have any problem with killing him. And they have a, like a face conversation. And then she says, I mean, I don't know this guy. I would feel pretty bad just killing an innocent guy who I don't know. And the demon asks the, the second dervish, you know, well, so you know this woman, right? And the second dervish is like, no, I don't know who, who's this? (laughs) It's a really wonderful scene. New acts, who this? <laughs> and the demon says, okay, well, if you don't know her, then you should just, you won't have a problem with killing her. So here you go, kill her. And he has an eyed face conversation with the woman. And he says, well, I mean, she couldn't kill me because she didn't know me. Like it would, it would be really rude of me to kill her. You know, that would, that would suck yeah. of me. Yeah. The demon does not buy any of this. <laughs> no, the demon's not buying it at all. The demon instantly is like, this sucks, you suck, and chops the woman's arms off. Just right yes. there. Mm-hmm. And it is very clear that she is now dead. Like, there is just, she's gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried their best. And he's like, what animal do you want me to turn you into? Yeah, so he's about to be cursed. And to, and this is another thing we've seen yeah. at this point, yeah. but to to mitigate or to reduce his punishment, he says, you know, this reminds me of a tale that I heard one time. Craig, tell me about the tale of the envious and the envied. The tale of the envious and the envied. And these, this tale has no character names in it. It is just a guy who is the envious and a guy who is the envied. And the envied just was like living his life. He's a guy. He's got like a good yard. People like him. <laughs> you know, he's got a cool TV. And the envious does not like him. The envious wants his stuff. He doesn't like the envied. And it, it gets so like kind of nasty and so many stink eyes, it, evil eyes, actually, 
that the envied is like, listen, I got to leave town. Like, I'm just going to move. I'm going to set up a hermitage somewhere else because this guy is too much. And he does that. And he, he like, people love him and a bunch of mendicants live on his hermitage. And, like, everyone's like, man, I love this envied guy. Still don't know his name, but he's really cool. And the envious, like, pays him a visit. And just comes over and is like, hey, I heard you were living here. And it was like super cool. Can I just like talk to you for a quick second? And just like kicks him down a well. <laughs> just like, can I check? Can I just tell you a story about this well? And the boom. And just knocks him down the well. And wouldn't you know it, Andrew, there's a bunch of demons who live in the well. I don't Man. think that was on the Zillow listing for this hermitage demon <laughs> well. <laughs> You, that's why you gotta get the demon insurance. Oh yeah, because by by the time you go below sea level, basically, I mean crawling with demons. Well, and down if, there. if, so if you really got to get the protection, and the if protection. you're renting, also like you got to make sure that the landlord is gonna take care of any demons on the property, and also that the landlord isn't a demon. Like Whoa. that's I mean, demons well. in, are commonly landlords. Like that's just that's just real estate. You know, <laughs> that's just the market at work. Yeah. Um, and so the demons in the well, they have actually kind of heard of this man. They like him. They're going to help him out. They, they get him out of the well. They're like, hey, a king's going to come by and his daughter's cursed. Here's how you fix it. Use cat's hair or something. And the king's super gracious. And he's like, hey, I love this new guy. Daughter, you're fixed. Marry him. And he makes the envied uh, his son-in-law and then moves him up the ranks until he dies and he makes a son-in-law king. And then Yeah, he well he's like he's son-in-law and then he becomes vizier. Yes. And then when the king dies, everybody's like, "Dang, who's the next best king?" Hmm, I bet the vizier would be good. Yeah. Char- Charles is in charge. Um and the envied is like, "Hey, I'm going to go pay a visit to that envious guy, and you know what? I'm just going to give him a bunch of money. I'm just going to give him a bunch of yeah. money." Yeah, and then rides away, and that's the end of the story. It's just about being a good person. D- there's not a real like O. Henry twist or anything. <laughs> so in response to this tale, the demon replied, "I will not kill you, but in no way will I pardon you and let you go unharmed. I have spared you from death, but I will put you under a spell." And so he turns him into an ape. Yep, drops him on a mountain. Good luck. And then we get like a 90s monkey movie where this, this dervish becomes like a visitor, even though he's an ape, but he's a really smart ape. He, gets, he lives on a boat. He works as a servant for a captain on a boat. And then the boat like ends up near a kingdom. And some guy's like, we need a smart person to be the king's scribe. And the <laughs> ape grabs the paper and just starts writing stuff on the paper. And my head is exploding because he does not write, I am an ape who used to be a man. He just yeah. starts writing poetry. Just quoting Listen, poems. You, this is the value of a liberal arts degree is you never know when it's going to become useful. It's it's teaching you valuable life skills that you can use when you become a, a man ape on a ship that needs a scribe to keep the books. So they bring the ape to the king and he's like, look at all the cool stuff that I can write. And the king loves it. And they put him on a, on a mule and ride him to the king. And the, there's like rumors going around the kingdom of like, the king has taken an ape for a vizier. The, they're this playing king chess is together. The, this king is the one who gives me the most Sultan from Aladdin <laughs> vibes, I think, because he's just so psyched to have this sweet ape to be his pal. 
And then his daughter walks in, and his daughter's like, and his, his, the king's like, have you checked out my sweet ape who knows how to play chess? <laughs> and she's like, do you know? Do you mean that man who's cursed as an ape? Like, sitting right next to you? He's a man. And the king's like, how do you know? And she's like, dad, you haven't been paying attention. I'm a witch. <laughs> like, I studied with uh-oh. a, uh-oh. I'm one of the, man. I'm one of the TikTok witches. Like, don't you understand? <laughs> I hexed the moon, dad. And he's like, well, that's strange. I'm glad you have enough mental capacity to know about this TikTok <laughs> stuff because I got a one year old. I don't know any of this. And what she's just like, and I guess the, what the king is like, hey, can you just fix my ape then? <laughs> fix my, now on the History Channel, fix my ape. And she's she like casts a spell and summons the demon. Mm-hmm. And it gets very anime for a few pages. A mix mm-hmm. of anime and Sword in the Stone. Mm-hmm. I did not expect a full-on Dragon Ball fight between her and this demon, Andrew. Yeah, because they like they have this big fight and like sparks of flame go everywhere and she dies and like half the king's beard burns off and he's ill for like a month. People are like, they they do a lot of transforming, but then they also just like start throwing fire at each other. She does win. Uh, a tiny spark of flame goes in the ape's eye, and that's why the word, the dervish and lost that's, an eye. That's why the dervish only has one eye. You got to watch for that bit. She does turn him back into a man. She does die. And then yes. after the king recovers, what happens, Andrew? Um, He basically says, like... This is your fault, and <laughs> I'm still alive, so I am not going to kill you, but you brought a lot of misfortune upon my house, and so please, like, leave. Please go Now away. I want you to leave our city and depart in peace, but if I ever see you again, I will kill you. Then he yelled at me, and I went forth from his presence, dumbfounded and deaf and blind to everything. Uh, before leaving the city, I went to the bath and shaved off my beard and eyebrows, and when I came out, put on a black woolen robe and departed left the king's capital in dismay and tears, not knowing where I should go. And when I recalled everything that had happened to me, how I had entered the city and in what condition I was leaving it, my grief grew worse. And so he just had a really bad time. And now I'm a one-eyed dervish and this is my tale. And she- and the, the the girl said, stroke your head and go. You've won your... <laughs> stroke your you, head and go. Stroke your head and go. You've won your life. And he says, by God, I will not leave until I hear the tales of the others. And so now he's been untied and he's just standing by waiting to hear the next tale. And that that's where our episode of Genie Babies will leave off. Yes. Um, I can't wait to find out about the third dervish. And I know I'm not supposed to ask, but I do want to know about the dogs. So I don't if I learn about the dogs, that's fine. But it doesn't concern me and I will not ask about yeah, it. Yeah, you don't want to hear what you don't want to hear. Yeah. When you put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this was a, these were fun ones. They were, I mean, they've all been fun ones. These were really bizarre though. Yeah, they really were. They really were. But they were, I also think that they had the least say, uh, I no, I want to take that back. Cause the demon did chop up that woman that he kept in a basement the whole time. Yeah. I mean, that can still happen and it can still have the least misogyny of any of the stories that we've read so far. Yeah. The ape thing really occupies a lot of my brain. Because we've had, we got what like that woman who cheats on her husband, so she gets killed, and then another woman who 
with her servants cheats on her husband and then gets killed. We've got that woman who like travels around with a genie yeah. and makes men have sex with her yes. and then give her their rings. And then she's like, haha, cucks, I have your rings. <laughs> it's but also like, telling nothing... that none of them have names that is unfortunate and like a part of the text. Now, most of the men do not have names at this point. Yeah. And like none of the, none of the men in this one have names either, but yeah. yeah, these were just the pool party and the ape story really threw me on this one. Yeah, it got rowdy. It got rowdy in a way. Like the the translator's note, it set me up to expect some rowdiness, but I was not expecting just pages and pages of of genital talk. Yeah, like I think we <laughs> may have got like if we had gone full text on this one, it might have been an R rating, or at least a very oh, strict yeah. PG thirteen. But I think an R rating on this one mm-hmm. for sure. Last night I let him slip, and so I wish that I could stay before the thing could answer me. Well, someone came and took the lamp away. I looked around, a lousy candles all out found. Well, you don't know what we We are, of course, reading the Hussein Hadoui translation of the Arabian Nights uh, based on a 14th century manuscript edited by Musin Mahdi. Uh, Andrew, this is our fourth episode. So we have been going in order, like top of uh, top of business. That's a phrase. Um, we are going to skip some nights after this one. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like a short story that we're going to skip over and get right to the story of the Hunchback, I believe it's called. Um, but we are in the middle of a story right now, Andrew. I believe it is called The Porter and the Three Ladies. Uh-huh. And a bunch of stuff has happened. What do you remember has happened so far? Well, so what is, what sets this up is a lady oh, sure. is okay. out going shopping, and she runs into this guy, and she's like, "Hey, could you help carry all my stuff, all my shopping around?" And he does this, then he goes back to her house with her, and meets her like two sisters, I think, and yep. they're all described in very strange and distinct ways that I don't remember one like one is like milk neck and cake one, neck and cake neck and one has like good boobs yes um uh-huh <laughs> they all <laughs> they all hang out and they get drunk and they have this party and the only rule at this party house is like don't ask questions that you don't want the answers to please yeah um and so a couple other people to come over there are like these three dervishes they're all like one-eyed dervishes yep and then there is like a a king and his vizier who are sort of incognito who have heard the carrying on at this party and wanted to come in and see what was going on. Yep. Um, so the, some of the things is that you should not be asking questions about are like, why do they bring out these couple of dogs and beat the crap out of them and cry the whole time and cry about them? Yeah. Like you're sad to be beating your dogs. And was there another mystery? I did. I think or that's that the, the main one. The primary mystery is that there is the one of the sisters has like a lot of scarring and bruising and has clearly suffered some sort of physical punishment. Uh, I think. Yes. She, yeah. That was what I was. She like of. sings a song and does some poetry and, you know, you see the scars, but they're not allowed to ask about it. Um, yeah, because like my and, and maybe I just wasn't reading close enough. I guess I my assumption last time had been that 
the sister with all the like the scars and the beating was one of the dogs and she like would temporarily change yeah. into a dog and then change back into a person because that's just that's the kind of shenanigans <laughs> that we get up to here in these Arabian Something nights. else no, does they are, happen. They're under, they understood to be different people. So I think I was, in my mind, I was still thinking of them as the same person, yeah. even though I know they're not. Um, and of course, we have not mentioned the, the frame, frame, frame narrative, which is Scheherazade, who volunteered as tribute and is telling the murderous crap king a story every night so that he does not kill her. Um, and maybe she will change him at some point. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe she'll just tell stories for like three straight years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've, at this point, they did ask questions. They got in trouble and they said, okay, could we at least tell you our sad stories and then maybe you'll let us go? And the mistress mm-hmm. is like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, stories being kind of the currency of this of this world. Yes. And we've heard already before this episode about the first two dervishes. All of these dervishes have a tale that is like, I was a cool king or prince and some bad stuff happened and now I'm here. So we pick up with the third dervish, Andrew, and like a lot of the people in these tales, I just have a note that says, this guy's whole deal is I did the thing they told me not to do. Man, what is it with people in this book and doing the stuff people tell them not to do? In this, so man, this dervish at one point, and we will get to the, like organically, the point in the story where this is. Yeah. But he is in this house with a bunch of guys and he still has both of his eyes at this yes. point. It's a bunch of guys with one eye and like every night they like blacken their faces with soot, which is problematic. And they scream in agony about how if they had only been less curious, things would have gone better for yes. them. And this dude, this idiot looks at these guys and he's like, man, I am so curious about what's going on with them. They told me I can't ask them about this thing that they do. <laughs> I ju- but I need to know. I just need to know. And it's apparently lost on him yeah. that they are blaming curiosity for this. And yet his own incurable curiosity, which has already gotten him in trouble like three times uh-huh. before this even happens. Gee whiz. It's gee whiz. Read a book, dude. <laughs> What's that meme where like, it's like, do you, do you not know where poetic justice is? You stupid jerk. <laughs> is it that guy who's like sweating as he's about to press the red button? Like that's just this dude. Like do I, or the Ren and Stimpy episode about the, bu- the button in space. Mm-hmm. Like just don't do it. But mm-hmm. I think that is like thematically. Some of these stories really feel like some warped and some warped tour entertainment. Um, but skewed views yes but some like at its core i think this story in particular and some of the others have this like don't question authority or accept accept things that you cannot control or cannot explain like be comfortable with power greater than yourself kind of stuff and that's not every story but some of them hit this like theme really really hard (laughs) Uh, so this guy whose name, uh, I believe he was a king, Ajib Ibn Kasib. I don't know if he was a real king. That's his name. He was a king in the story. He was on a cool mm-hmm. boat trip with his buds. Like he went on like uh-huh. an Odysseus style boat trip. And one day the captain's like, yo, the ocean's bad in that direction. I don't really remember <laughs> if he said any specific reason. Ex- yeah, like the the part of this where my memory picks up is they start sailing up on this big like magnetic island. Yeah, he's like, oh no, the <laughs> magnet mountain is here, 
and mm-hmm. there we gotta we're gonna die because the magnet mountain it's like sort of a bermuda triangle of sorts because it literally just rips all of the metal fittings off your boat and your boat falls apart uh-huh yes right um and so what this happens this does happen. his boat falls apart <laughs> and he's on this he's on this island and at what point does he run into the person who gives him this first like and this happens a lot in this dervish's tale too is somebody will give him an extremely specific set of instructions that he will follow right up until the last minute and then will bring ruin upon the heads of himself and everybody he loves. <laughs> I think this one is just a voice he hears, which happens a few times. Mm-hmm. It's like a yeah. an, a disembodied voice that says like, hey, at the top of this mountain, there's a brass guy on a brass horse. This is the secret yeah. of the magic mountain. Take this bow that I magically made appear in the ground, and if you shoot the brass man off the brass horse, it will break the magnet spell. And a different brass man will come out of the ocean and save you. <laughs> like how clearly it's like, yeah, and then this is, now it's really important. He is made of brass, but it's not the same guy. So don't worry about it. He's not going to be mad at you for shooting him off his horse. So go with this guy. And the only rule is don't mention God. <laughs> and I guess he's like a really, a really uh, Christopher Hitchens type. He really doesn't want you to mention God on his boat. Uh, so yeah, go with him and his boat for like a month or however long that it is. He'll that save you on this boat a couple of weeks, and uh, he will. Yeah, he'll save you. He'll he'll row you back to land. Well, and what do and you think happens, Andrew? So they get almost to the end, and they actually get within sight of land. And he's so happy to see land that he praises God. Uh huh. And then he gets pitched off the boat. Again, the boat just like sinks, or the ocean takes him. He washes up yeah. on another island. Mm-hmm. And whether this is the island that he saw or some other island, I'm not 100% sure. I don't think it's super important. No, it's like all of these little narrative nodules are kind of vacuum sealed. Like it's like we just found another island on a story for a story to happen. Um, right. So he's on this island. He's hiding out. A bunch of dudes show up on a boat. And it, the most important dudes are a really old guy and a pretty young guy. And, and this guy is so pretty. Oh, is he? Oh, he's the pretty one. He's the prettiest one, and he's so pretty that um, uh, this. Is, so th- this is there are a few points in this story, and this has happened before, but I don't know if we've called it out like as such. Um, sometimes when this book wants to make a simile or a metaphor to to make like a comparison, it won't just make the simile or the metaphor. It will say. It's like this thing that this poet yeah, said this time, yeah, yeah, this yeah. one time. And then there are several, and sometimes it's a big, long like verse, and sometimes it's just a couple of lines. It's like, could you not have just like <laughs> made that? Could you not have just said that? Uh, Faultless in body and face, he surpassed everyone in looks and inner grace, as if it was of him that the poet said. Uh, with him to make compare beauty, capital B, beauty they brought, but beauty hung his head in abject shame. They said, oh, beauty, have you seen his like? Beauty replied, I have never seen the same. Aw, dang. So this guy, this guy, so beautiful. How beautiful is he? He's so beautiful. That personified beauty is like, (laughs) dang, that guy, that guy, fine. (laughs) I hit that. I I feel like I have been fortunate enough to not have a close friend who only speaks in like Shakespeare quotations. Mm. I try to live my life in a way that minimizes my exposure to people like this. I feel the same way about 
uh, Monty Python yeah. people. <laughs> and, and part of that is I'm not steeped in it. And, and I am steeped in Shakespeare a lot in my day job, but I have just not memorized that much. It's not fun to me to just quote the bard at people. Um, so what do they do? Get with- thee to a nunnery. Nunnery dang business. Um, that's that's one. What are the other? To be or not to be? Speak that's the speech, two. I pray you. I'll, to sleep, perchance to dream. We're all we're one. only doing Hamlet. You do realize? Uh, what are some of the other? What's the Macbeth one? Uh, the woods. Oh no, the woods are coming. That's um, from Macbeth. Oh no, the woods are coming. Oh, my hands are dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a sword or your trick of the light? Mm-hmm. I can't believe my crimes have come back. I can't believe I'm getting comeuppance for my crimes. That's from Macbeth too. <laughs> yeah, he says that's it definitely right the true. End. The witches weren't mm-hmm. lying. That's what he says at the end. Um, you can take this to the banquo. He says. That's the end of the play, actually. That's the that. end of the play. It's yeah. his most famous line. Yeah, Shakespeare. Um, so what do they do with this beautiful boy? They put him in a. They put. They find a basement on this island. And they outfit this basement with a bunch of sick furniture and food and stuff. And then they lock the beautiful boy in the basement and leave. And so the the dervish is like, man, what's the deal with this guy? And so he goes to meet this guy and the guy and he says, hey, my name is whatever my name is. And the guy says, oh, dang, I heard that a guy named the exact with the exact name and title that you have is going to kill me. But if I survive for like the next 40 days, then I'll be fine. And the, and the, the dervish is like, well, why would I kill you? That's like, whatever. That's, that's ridiculous. Let's just hang out and be chill. And we will, you know, we'll hang out in your cool underground layer and we'll just wait out the 40 days and it'll be great. I don't know that he tells him his name. I think that's a secret he keeps for himself. Because I think he meets the young man. I'm with you. I'm with you on everything else. He says, um, you know, I asked him to tell me his story. He's like, I'm, you know, I was, I'm a human being like you and the son of a king. Why are you in the ground? And he's like, oh, my dad got this prophecy your son will live 15 years after which there will be a conjunction of the stars oh, oh okay yeah what i'm uh he when i heard his narrative and strange tale i said to myself i am the one who overthrew the brass horseman and i am ajib son of king kasib but by god i will never kill him yes and then i said to him okay so that's that's what i was missing is he says to himself well dang i i match that exact name and description yes but I, it's chill i'm not I'm, I, I won't tell him i just won't kill him it's fine i'll be fine yeah, the prophecy is very like Pepe Silvia specific. Like it's got like it has the magic mountain is it. It has 50 days ago. It has this dude's exact name. Uh, it has the brass horse. So, yeah, so they just party in this like sick basement for 40 days. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? And this is like it's I laughed very, out like, loud at this. You you know how in infomercials at the beginning <laughs> When they're trying to demonstrate the made up problem and it's somebody with just like rubber hands trying to like use a hammer or hold a knife and they drop it and they make a face and there's like a boy uh-huh. sound effect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there's a, he's, he gets infomercial hands here on the 39th day. Like they're going to make a cool dinner and and uh, <laughs> Ajib son of King Kasib is like, well, where's the where's the knife? Can you, where's the knife? And the guy is like, well, it's up there on that shelf. And so he goes to get the knife 
and whoops, he accidentally, through mishap, stabs the guy he, with the knife and kills him just before the 40 days is up. Yeah, because the whole time he's like, I'm never going to kill this guy. This is going to be great. We're best friends. I'm going to pour water for him to take a bath and spill some of it on the ground. That won't come back to bite me later. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. totally wipes out, knife into the guy. Very, oh, shucks. I have created a prophecy. <laughs> I've fulfilled a oh, prophecy. Oh, no, not not again, not he said. <laughs> um, and then he realizes, he's like, whoa, when those people come back to let this guy out of his 50-day basement, uh, and they're going to be mad at me, so I'm going to go hide in the bushes. He watches the old man go into the island basement, come out, and just die. His soul just leaves his body from Because he's so sad that his beautiful, beautiful son got killed. And then what? He hangs out kind of realizing that he committed murder, the ocean recedes a little bit. There's a sandbar to another island. And this is... Yeah, so this is... He's just like, well, whoops, oops. Live and learn, (laughs) he seems to say. And that's when he makes it to this palace with all these one-eyed people who, like, show him a lot of hospitality, but tell him similarly, like, don't ask questions. We, We can't explain to you this, why we have one eye or why we do this thing with the ashes that we do every night. Just like, don't ask about it and you'll be fine. That's literally the only thing we need you to do is not ask us this one thing. <laughs> Sit down and what do they say? Sit down on the floor and do not inquire about our situation or the loss of our eyes. Very specific. And then while they're... <laughs> I think I have in my notes, like my i lost my eye and rub ashes on my face t-shirt is raising a lot of questions (laughs) that are answered by my t-shirt uh we would be sitting pretty but for our curiosity is the thing that they cry and cry again um and he does ask them he stays with them for a full month and then he just the curiosity gets the better of him he says i must know the secret and they're like listen uh if you need to know the secret we're gonna put you in a ram skin and then a bird is going to pick you up like dark souls and then carry you to another <laughs> palace and drop you off and you're going to learn the truth and this is a reference heavy oh yeah episode oh, yeah. for us i'm realizing i'm i'm like it's, we're recording in the middle of the day my brain has different powers yeah up. i've got like seltzer instead of beer it's a strange energy uh and so of course they do this they do kill a ram shove this guy in the ram skin a big bird comes i think it's like supposed to be a phoenix of some kind or Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think that's right um carries him to another palace and what's in that palace 40 hot ladies yeah hot sexy ladies and great food and all the ladies just want to hang out with them and get down with them Every day he gets to pick one lady to have sex with mm-hmm. and then he has to like wait, you know, to every day he has to pick a new one every day. The first one he picks um, was perfect in every way, like a willow bough or a stalk of sweet basil. Her beauty struck the eye and bewildered the mind. And then he does another yeah. one of whom the poet said, I don't know, this the basil thing threw me. <laughs> a little bit you're not expecting it to be like so seasoning yeah based <laughs> and then he does like a full like you know multiple quatrains of poetry quoting and then he just says that night i slept with her and spent the best of nights reader i got laid reader it was really great how good i got laid <laughs> um and so okay they hang out and they are all partying and for like a year together. or something for a very long time, yeah. And then 
So at the end of the year, it it the ladies say, okay, we got to go somewhere else again for 40 days. Yeah. Uh, all, all year we hang here and we party and we've never partied with anybody as, as hard and as good as we partied with you. So we're going to go, but we'll be back. And the only thing there are not, there are a hundred rooms in this palace, a hundred rooms in this dang palace. Yeah. There are a hundred of them. <laughs> and there's this one, this one room that you cannot go in. And if you don't go in this room, by the time we'll be back, we can keep on partying and having a great time. But this one room you can't go in. There are we have nine. Please do not go in this there one. There are ninety nine keys. Uh, and there's a hundredth key. We do have a key to the red gold door. Please do not open the red gold door. Check out all these other rooms that are filled with apples and wealth and birds and trees. Like just hang out in those rooms. And what this he's there. What do you? What do you? So what? What does this fella? What does this smart fella do? At one presented with this information he, do you think he opens it it's this is i mean so there's a what like there's a you know a grim fairy and not only does he open it but he makes it like 39 days and then on the last day <laughs> no. he's like well dang i just this this doesn't remind me of any other situation that i've ever found myself in i really need to see what's in this room though. i've never been somewhere <laughs> for a month and then on the last day i couldn't take it anymore i don't have a problem just like so repeatedly failing that marshmallow test like over and over and over <laughs> well, again. Well, that test has been debunked, but anyway, I know I know what you mean. Um with this guy with he could have 40 marshmallows and he would eat all of them. Um there remain They would give they could give him 40 marshmallows and they can say you can eat all these marshmallows but leave one. Please leave one. Please. One marshmallow for me later. And he would eat them and then he would sit and he would be like, "Man, that was a lot of good marshmallows." I'm, but man, that last one looks real good. I bet it's better than the other ones. <laughs> there remained. And they told me I couldn't eat it, which makes me want to eat it more. Mm, I'm so confused. There remained so only hungry. that one chamber to complete the hundred, and I began to feel obsessed and tempted with it as Satan urged me to open it and cause my undoing. And I just wrote in the margins of my page, "idiot" next to that. At this point, I just want one of these things to actually undo him because yes. he's proven himself like pretty, pretty unworthy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's beautiful in there. There's fragrant candles. There's oh, incense. Of course it is. Burners. It's great. There's ambergris and musk and frankincense. And there's a deep black horse uh, as black as the darkest night, bridled and ready with a saddle of red gold. And he says, there's something of great importance about this horse. <laughs> and... He tries to get on it. The horse doesn't want him to ride it. He takes it like outside of the palace and he hits it with a whip and the horse spreads its wings and like flies away with him to the sky, lands him on top of another palace and hits him in the eye with his tail, like gouges out his eye with his horse tail. Now, I, and I did. So this palace turns out to be the palace that he came from yep. with all the one eyed guys and the screaming. And they, you know, he gets there and they tell him, we told you, we told you specifically what not to do. Get out of here. We don't want you here with us. The the point. So this same exact thing apparently happened to every one of these other so guys. Like 10 dudes. A very, a very specific set of events is you party with the ladies. Then you go into the secret horse room and then the horse flies away and whips you in the eye. Yeah. 
What? I get when did <laughs> when did they decide that their palace was full though? Like when did they decide we're not gonna? I mean, we're all cool to stay here, but anybody else this happens to, like, no, yeah. we don't have we don't have space. Well, anymore. yeah, because you have to figure every one of those guys walks up and it's like, yo, but what is the deal with the eyes? And they're like, put him in the ram, send him to the thing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe mm. maybe they just didn't like how this guy asked. I don't know. It's it seems strange that they are like we're done with you. He should just like live there with them. But this whole thing is very it's very strange. Anyway, so, okay, I I think I think that's the end of his story. He ends is, up with the dervishes. Is, yes, and he meets up with them, and they're all like, "Man, you've got one eye. I've got one eye. Also, you've you've suffered misfortunes. Oh, me too. Howdy, stranger. Wild. We're all strangers here. Is what they say. Yeah." Um, so then hey, we, I hear a neat party going. Let's <laughs> let's go check that out. So that brings us back up a narrative level. We're back at the house with the mistress and the dogs and the and the men, and they're like, "Cool, all your stories were super sad. Hey, um, Caliph, King, and Jafar, can you just like tell us your story because we don't actually know that you're the king. You've told us some other cover story about a party, and the cops showed up, and the king <laughs> says that again, and they're like, "All right, cool. Can you all just go away now?" Um, and then we shift narrative focus. We follow the caliph now. Like it is, and I, I looked ahead, like I think some of the next couple stories, like from Scheherazade, focus on him. Yeah, um, I think I think that's and, right. And his vizier is Jafar, which is why he's like a character that we all know. And the caliph just like can't handle not knowing about the dogs and the ladies. He just, he's like, listen, I'm in charge here. Everyone needs to come to my house and tell me the story. Well, and like once again, I feel like you weren't I feel like you weren't listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like you weren't listening and really absorbing the point of what all these other tales of woe were supposed to be. Yes, correct. Could be wrong. Could be I wrong. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. But but I feel like maybe <laughs> you spaced out uh-huh. at a couple parts of this. So the the big thing is that he summons the dervishes and the ladies and the dogs to his palace, reveals that he has been the caliph the whole time. And they're like, wow, we are partying with the king. Um, And what is the first, the mistress of the house, the the tale of the first lady, Andrew, what is this? What happens? Is this the one where she explains the thing with the dogs? Yes, correct. So, yeah. So she says, all right, I've got, I've got. A total of four sisters, <laughs> yes, right? Count I got them. two from the same mother and father, and then two from the same father. Is it the same father? It's another okay, mother. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the deal with me and so these these sis, two of my sisters are these dogs. I don't <laughs> think she says that right up front, but I think for purposes of explaining it, two of the sisters are dogs. How did that come to be? You might ask. Uh, what happens is uh, she's got these two sisters. She's the youngest, I think, and then they are both older. And they get married a couple times to guys who like take all of their wealth and leave them destitute, basically. And and we've run into this. this is a, yeah, I was going to say once this before earlier with the yeah with the tale of that of that brother who kept like le- lending like he was doing fine, but he kept lending his. Uh, crappy brothers money to go out and do like to start like dubious business ventures (laughs) and they keep coming back and he keeps showing them like infinite patience and generosity 
and then they reward that with like sedition basically yeah, and this the big th- and the the basic formula is the same here where they they get married a couple times and they come back to her the second time and they say man all right we're just you are the youngest of us in age but the wise like the oldest in wisdom and we are not going to get married anymore. And then what happens to the youngest sister is she meets this great guy. Yeah, so she... And she's going to get married. She's an amazing yeah, so merchant. And because she has also been having to pay out their dowries because her dad left uh, or whatever. And so she is the one fronting all the money for these marriages. And But she has gotten her, like, you know, her business is thriving. So she's going to take all her goods on a boat and sail it to some cool city and sell it. And she shows up at the cool city, and it's not so cool. Everyone is stone. Everyone in this city <laughs> has been turned to stone. Is, and is, yeah, they have been turned to stone. It's not they're not on the weed. No. It is that they have all they been may have stone. been, but now they are literally stoned. Um, can you imagine if you were getting stoned and then you got turned into stone? That would be a weird that experience. That would be that would be a funny yeah. one. I'll give you that. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a strange. I would really be dazed and confused if that happened to me. So she's wandering around. Dude, <sighs> where's my car? This um, we got to go to White Castle sometime, Andrew. Oh my God, we have to stop making references. She <laughs> and so she finds this man that she wants to marry. He is the only guy in this whole city who actually like reads and studies and worships according to the Quran. Everyone else, like I think his phrase, they worship the fire, like they are some pagan beliefs. What I don't know what the specific belief system that he is saying that they are, um, mm-hmm. but they are not followers of the Quran, and so they were turned to stone um, because they were, you know, not pious enough. Um, and she's like, "Cool, that sounds great. Do you want to come back and marry me? <laughs> like, can we get down?" <laughs> and he's like, "That sounds cool. You seem rad." And this thing happens again, Andrew. They're on the mm-hmm. boat. They're co- they're mm-hmm. going home, and mm-hmm. the jealous siblings, uh, while people are sleeping, pick up the youngest sister, pick up the cool dude, and toss him in the ocean. Yeah, and I my maybe I again was reading this uh, wrong, but my impression was that they pitched their whole beds into the ocean with them, like on. The- <laughs> instead of just pitching them but uh so the the guy drowns and this but the sister lives yeah and a she's on an a island god she's on an island and so what happens is some like deity uh sees all of this that happens knows that she's been good to her sisters but also is kind of mean <laughs> still anyway <laughs> And so she goes and gets all of her stuff off of the boat and like takes it back to her house. And she goes and gets the bad sisters, turns them into dogs. And you would think this would be kind of, and, and we've run into, we run into this before too, is like people have been turned into animals and left in the care of their siblings yep, or something. Yep. And, and like maybe they'll get turned back to humans later. I don't know. But the specific twist with this one is I've turned your sisters into dogs. And if you don't beat them like every single night, I am going to do bad stuff to you. too. Yeah. Which is kind of wild. <laughs> the reason this deity shows up is because the deity was a serpent and got was was being chased by another serpent. And the young sister saves the the snake, and and then the snake's like, "Oh, sick! I'm a god, actually, and I turned your sisters into mm-hmm. dogs." It doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she's punishing this woman, and making her <laughs> like beat her own sister dogs. Um, 
but so this has been going on for long enough that like the sisters like not mad at them in the same way anymore like she understands yeah, that like this she, is part of the yeah. curse well and she her forgiving nature is part of what got her into this in the first mm. place and so she does want to forgive her sisters and not be beating them all the time so that's why she's crying when she's beating them and so um, that's their story really right and so then yeah. then we move on to the second lady the flogged one who was the shopper i don't remember what the title of her story is let me see if i can find it oh the tale of the second lady the flogged one cool arabian nights great <laughs> and i like this title because it's the tale of the second lady comma the flogged one like okay this is the tale of the second lady and just in case you don't remember you know the flogged oh, one oh my god yeah the inherent misogyny of this text is just ever present so this is another story where a woman gets beaten within the inch of her life, an inch of her life for something that's not her can fault. Can I say a funny thing just before like, we cool, get to that part a, first? Yeah, no, you can. I'm just saying, like, this is this is another one. This is a fun book for yeah. This, this is maybe a, next time for our next project, we'll find one where a woman was involved in any way in the writing of it. Yeah, that would be helpful. I think that's a good mm-hmm. put put a pin in that one. Um, yeah. So this woman starts her story. She's like, you know, doing okay. She married a wealthy man and then he died and she's like hanging out with his money. One day as I was sitting at home, an old woman came to me. How old was she? What old woman she was with a pallid, scabby skin, a bent body, matted gray hair, a gray freckle face, broken teeth, plucked out eyebrows, hollow, bleary eyes, and a runny nose. Mm-hmm. And then quotes the poet again. This lady was so old. How old was exactly. she? Exactly. Um, and the old lady's like, hey, can you come to my sad daughter's wedding? Uh, we don't have any family, and it would be great if a rich person was there. And she's like, that sounds great. And then the woman getting married is like, hey, I have a hot brother. Why don't you marry him? And she's like, cool, let's sign a marriage contract right now. And he's a jerk, so he says, listen, I need you to never look at another man. And I think he means it literally, which is certainly how she interprets it. Yeah, where it's like never talk to another in practice. It's like never talk to another man. Never. Yeah, you're going to be breaking your vows. Yeah. So a month later, the old lady after, you know, the marriage is going fine. And the old lady's like, hey, do you want to go shopping? And she's like, OK. And because yeah, women, women be shopping. Uh-huh, women do be shopping. And she can't talk uh-huh. to the merchant because she's like, well, my husband doesn't want me to. Um, it's funny what things persist across like time and culture. Yeah. And one of those things, one of those things obviously is women, women be shopping. <laughs> As the poet said, <laughs> women be shopping. men be like this, women be like this. Oh my God. Um, so she of course can't talk to the merchant and the old woman is like doing it for her. And the merchant's like, no, nah, but like maybe I could get a, like maybe I could kiss her, which is very strange. And the mm-hmm. old lady's like, yeah, just let him, like, kiss your cheek. Well. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. I won't tell. He bites her face. Man, yeah, this is a full-on, like, There's, Vander Holyfield kind of. Just keep making references. Like, he, bites a, he bites a big chunk the, out of her face. Again, like, the, the Magnetic Mountain story, the Don't Push the Red Button story, at least has, like, a theme that you could maybe learn a lesson from. And uh-huh. I don't want to learn any lessons from this story because it's all bad. <laughs> it's just, it's like men are bad and women deserve to have that badness visited upon them. Like that's yeah. the moral of the story, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
And even even in the case of the the sister and the dogs, like even a mm-hmm. a good woman who does a lot of yep. good things can ha- it's it's still not that good. Like she still has to deal with some misfortune. Yep. Um, We're not going to turn her into a dog, but we are going to make her beat her dog sisters. Yep, dog sisters. Yikes. Yikes. And the husband is like, "Okay, who bit your face? Like, what happened?" And she's like, "No, it was." It was a guy who bumped into me. And he's like, well, I'm going to call the king and have him kill everyone who bumped into people. And she's like, no, it was a guy who rented me a donkey and I fell off. And he's like, well, I'm going to have the king kill all the donkey vendors. And she's like, no, I'll just tell you what happened. A guy bit my face. And he's like, oh, because you looked at him. I'll, I'll kill you. And they yell poetry at each other. They like have a rap battle of like a tragic rap battle for like a page and a half. And she realizes part of the way through this rap battle that it's not she's not going to win. No, she's going to lose very poorly. Um, and the old woman runs in and is like, this is the, you know, the only way that she can spare this young girl's life is to be like, listen, you shouldn't waste your time killing this trash. Like, just, the old lady, like, really makes a heel turn here, which is the only way to save her life, where she's like, listen, killing someone is bad. Just beat her, I guess. Just like be terrible, but don't kill her because then you have to live with the sin of ki- of killing. Which okay, um, so yeah, he beats her up and then she leaves. His house gets destroyed by God. Maybe that wasn't mm-hmm. clear to me, but she does leave and finds her way back to her sister, who is the mistress of the house with the dogs. Um, Did you and you mentioned already that her her injuries won't fade? Right? Yes, they yes they will never yes, fade. Okay, yes. Um, and so then, and then there's the shopper girl who doesn't have a story. She's also a sister, and she's there. And so they're all living together now with the dogs and things. And the caliph is like, "What cool stories! I want to fix this. How do you summon the serpent lady?" <laughs> And she's like, oh, I <laughs> surely, surely this is going to go great for everybody. And she like is like, oh, I keep this tuft of hair and I can burn a hair and summon the serpent. And he's like, cool, let me burn all the hairs. People simply refuse to. There are so many stories that all have lessons. Yep. And people steadfastly refuse to learn the lessons like the, this guy is like, oh, man, I stopped listening when you said scary snake God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the snake god is Ugh. is reverent to him because he's the caliph, I guess. Like she shows up, and I was expecting her to cause mischief, and she listens to everything he asks for. Um, and he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a cool king and fix everyone's problems, and then people are gonna tell stories about it." So, mm-hmm. demon, turn the dogs back into ladies. Boom. Uh, hey, who flogged you? And the demon's like, well, it was your son. And he's like, that sucks. (laughs) But I'm going to fix everything. So all the dervishes work for me now. Everybody's married. Um, And yes, I am going to marry my son back to this woman that he abused. Really, no one talk about it. I'm the best. Uh, I'm the caliph. Mic drop. Mm -hmm. That was a real, I didn't, I really didn't like that part. Where he married her to does, him again. Do, yeah, no. No. That one was bad. It's because the book I don't know. I think I think the book thinks that these guys go a little far sometimes, but it's not interested in really examining like the moral 
downside. I don't. I don't. You yeah. know what I mean? No, like, it is Like people get people get punished sometimes, but like the book is not about this king who kills all of his wives and then gets his comeuppance. It's a king who kills all of his wives except one wife who is smart and crafty enough yeah. to save herself yeah. from him. I do I do try um, to think sometimes about how the and this will be our kind of our, our wrap up, I think. I do try to think about yeah, how Scheherazade is maybe using some of these stories and some of the stories fit that mold better than others. Like whenever a story has a like a king who does like quote unquote good stuff in it. I'm thinking about like, okay, that is a, you know, in a, in a contained narrative where maybe she will affect change. Like those could have an effect on him. Those could have an additive effect that would lead to freedom or a better life or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I guess I'm resisting reading it that way because the people in the story so rarely, no one comments on it. Like, yeah, yeah. And well, and then like nobody ends up there. This is a very like, no hugging, no learning sort of <laughs> set of stories <laughs> where things end up happily sometimes, but you don't really see after that. And then like people getting their comeuppance is really inconsistent and uh, mixed. Yes. Too. So I, I don't know. Like, At- I don't know that they're intended to be read as her trying to convince Scheherazade of a thing because the people in the stories themselves are never convinced by the stories that they're hearing sure sure in in the book does that make sense yeah i think so i mean the caliph though is out here spouting propaganda because the end of what we read the last sentence is the people marveled at the caliph's wisdom tolerance and generosity and when all the facts were revealed (laughs) recorded these stories (laughs) what a great king what a great king let's write stories about it oh my said the king a mess (laughs) Um, so that is the end of the story of the Porter and the three ladies. Uh, I think we're going to do two more episodes of genie babies. Andrew is our plan, um, which will take, which will be a two parter of the story of the hunchback, which has a lot of different tales inside of it. And that'll be, yeah, that'll be our genie babies project. There are so many nights we knew we couldn't cover them all. Well, and, and like I am, I am having a lot of fun with the scenarios, but I am getting a little fatigued with the the overall the brutality. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and I, so yeah, but it's uh, yeah. This is this is a good. I don't know when else I would have exposed myself directly to like the source material of this work because the most like popular, the most the things from it or like allegedly from it that have resonated the most in pop culture are like the genie stuff and the Aladdin stuff that is not actually in the version that we're yeah. reading or, or a lot of the versions we talked about that in the first episode. Yeah. Bit, Some of what I've like at least um, found eh, compelling is maybe not the right word, but like there was some stuff in the stories, this episode that like reminds me of other grim fairy tales and just like the way that these stories map to other cultural touchstones is, is also interesting. And like these power dynamics and these character archetypes, persist throughout history so it's worth kind of like touching base where they come from um Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't need to read another i'm sure i will but i don't need to read another the story of the second lady the flogged one like (laughs) we'll do it i guess 
Maybe the, if it comes the, up. It's again. It's like the. I'm not gonna. No, I'm not gonna make another reference. No, nope. it, it is. <laughs> I don't need to. I, I don't necessarily need to read like a fifth story about a woman who gets brutally yeah. beaten because of some man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do that. Uh, those two more episodes of Gene Babies. That'll be it. Let us know what you think about the nights. Send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. If you could have a deity change your siblings into animals, but you didn't ha- you could just like party with them instead. Like what animals would it be? Let me know. Andrew, if folks want to know more <laughs> about the show, where should they go? Because this is the outro that'll Over- go on the main feed overduepodcast.com is our website up there we have apple podcasts and google links and an rss link we're also available on spotify and stitcher and wherever you find podcasts uh we have a a patreon page patreon.com slash overdue pod you will always hear every episode of genie babies eventually on the main feed but if you want to get them early patreon is the way to do it and we have a new listener page uh, up on overduepodcast.com. Those are episodes that we think uh, represent the show and what we're trying to do fairly well. Most people, I think, just find a book that they know and they um, they start with the show that way. But, you know, this is another way to get in if you are just uh, just finding us now. Yep. That's it. You know what they say mm-hmm. at the end of every episode of Genie Babies, Andrew? Oh, and and then morning overtook Craig and Andrew, and they were like, "Imagine the podcast that if you thought that was great, imagine the podcast that we'll do next time if you let us live." <laughs> Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Let the sound take you away.